I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. Welcome to my podcast where I invite you to join me each week as I shine a light on some of the very best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offer advice to those that want to make in the UK. But before we get on to today's episode, I just want to tell you about an event that I've got coming up. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers and British-made brands from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. Taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London, we've got over 200 exhibitors inspiring talks just like the ones on this podcast and it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive. Registration is now open and if you go to mib.live forward slash podcast VIP I've got a special something for you when you register. I hope to see you there and now let's get on with the show. welcome to episode 57 of the Make It British podcast. On today's show, I'm interviewing Natalie Riashi, who has founded luxury knitwear brand Riashi Studio. Natalie is a designer based in Paris who works at high-end ateliers in France. Now, you might wonder why I'm interviewing someone who's based in Paris on the Make It British podcast. Well, as you'll hear from Natalie's delightful accent, she originally hails from Scotland and wanting to do something about the fact that the knitting industry had died down in gala shields, she set about creating this luxury brand that would be something that people would cherish. Everything that she makes at Riashi Studio is created in Scotland by skilled workers who are based in an area that was once very much known for knitting and for the quality of its knitwear. So I hope you enjoy this interview with the delightful Natalie. But before we get on to the interview, I just wanted to let you know that there will be no podcast this Friday. Now, I know I normally do two podcasts a week, one on a Tuesday and one on a Friday. But as we've just got one week to go until our Make It British Live, I'm going to be so busy with the preparations for the show that unfortunately there will be no podcast this Friday. But there will be a podcast on Tuesday, the 28th of May and the Friday after that. So no podcast on Friday. Really sorry about that. But we'll be back in full force next week. And if you haven't booked your ticket to the show yet, make sure you do. And I hope to see you there. Now on to this interview with Natalie. Hello, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining me on the Make It British podcast. Hi, Kate. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So um, <laughs> do you want to start by telling everyone about your business? Well, um, my business is called Riashi Studio um, and we um, have just launched this winter uh, a collection of uh, cashmere ladies knitwear. Um, so it's a very new business that I would say has been launched to public um, since uh, October um, October last year. Um, but of course we had the, um, the whole process of making the collection which started 
you know, over a year, a year and a half ago. Um, because that's a, that's, that always happens, you know, the, the season before. So, yeah. Do you want to tell me about how that came about? So what was your background before you decided to launch the collection? Yes. Well, um, I studied fashion design and manufacture in Galashiels, um, about 11 years ago now. Um, it seems like, it seems like so long, um, and that was a very technical um, course on construction and pattern cutting um, with no knitwear, um, no knitwear involved at all. So it's a real surprise um, that I got into into knitwear. But um, it sort of happened quite naturally over the years. Um, I fell into it um, after university. Um, I moved to to Paris to well, actually, I came on holiday to Paris to visit some friends, and that holiday turned into. Uh, I move um, because I got some internships um, with uh, some designers who were around at the time and um, helped them in their ateliers, um, working on pattern cutting and embroidery. Um, and that was a really inspirational time because I got to work with um, the really skilled old women um, in the ateliers who've been working, you know, for most of their lives in there. And yeah the skills and the knowledge that they have is just is just something that you just don't get at university or I didn't get at university mm. you know being immersed in the in the real life real world situations and in, in Paris in a luxury fashion house is yeah probably as good as it gets really I have to say yeah amazing um, yeah so that and was you were working as a machinist or a, a seamstress I actually did a lot of um, hand work, um, haute couture, like um, hand um, markings on the fabric um, so that the garments could then be constructed um, using those markings. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, very technical. I mean, I didn't even know that that's how they constructed, constructed clothing. I didn't know that you had to map everything out by thread first rather than, you know, at university we just chalked or used paper patterns mm. um, but we were using threads in the, in the ateliers um, here in Paris and then I guess along the way I, I started a blog um, in 2012 when blogs started to become popular and uh, and I wanted to write about my about my time in Paris my uh, and my personal style as well and and what it meant to me and um I guess in a I was very aware of the fact that um you know there was this big prominence in fast fashion that was just getting faster and faster and I really wanted to create a blog about my personal style and about how I appreciated slow fashion and um well-considered designers um and designers who were um largely based in the UK and producing their garments in the UK. So I was really championing them and their production and their, you know, their quality. Um, so my focus was really on UK based, um, brands and based, uh, production. And I, I explored a few, um, French independent French brands as well, but it, it was mostly, um, UK, um, based and, that then led me to want to create my own brand um, producing in the UK. Um, 
because that was something that was really important for me because I saw how the the industry had you know left its shell in gala shields you know the knitwear industry that died down um in the scottish borders um and i wanted to invest my time and my efforts in producing something that people would people would value and people would cherish uh, for years to come um and work with those skilled people in the in the scottish borders and um that's how our brand Riashi Studio came about through a real a real passion I have for for slow fashion and for a good quality luxury clothing that's well made and really supports an industry that was once dying but that it is now being yeah being revived again how how does the the manufacturing industry um especially sort of the high end Mm-hmm. Um, part of the manufacturing industry in France differ from that in the UK? That's a good question. Um, for, from from the research that I've done, um, it's quite easy to work with um, a factory in France, um, but also who are working with the high-end brands. They do make space for um, small designers and um, their quantities aren't too high. Um, but, I mean... I studied in Gala Shields where the, the industry had been so prominent, the, the knitwear industry, and that had kind of died down over the years. And I wanted to help, you know, help keep that industry alive. So it was really important for me to to work in Scotland, um, even though we did explore the ideas of working in France. Yeah. And how yeah. did you um, go about finding the knitwear manufacturer that you're working with? I guess I had to be a bit sneaky and try and figure out who other people were working with. But I think at the time, um, it's a few years now before I started researching this whole thing. At the time, I didn't know about your website. Um, And it was also a time when people kind of wanted to guard that information. Um, So it took a while because some mills don't really have any online presence. They, uh, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes they have phone numbers that are not actually theirs and you get through to someone's home or, yeah. But. So, so you eventually found someone who would uh, yeah, take Yeah, I found, found two mills actually, but we're currently um, produ- producing with one, um, but about to develop uh, accessories with another. So brilliant. Yeah, and yeah. from the finding the mill to mm-hmm. when you were actually able to put your first collection on sale, how mm-hmm. what was the time frame for that? A good year, a year and a half perhaps. Um, Re- yeah, so it took yeah. that long. I think sometimes people don't realise quite how long it does take yes. to yeah, develop a product. It's all self-funded as well. Um, I haven't had any grants or or sponsorship or anything like that. It really does take time to produce these samples. I mean, they're not cheap. They're they're things that we're investing in. And is your yarn spun in Scotland as well? Yes, yes, it is, yes. Ah, brilliant. Okay. So the the process took that long. Was that because it took that long to get the designs right with the manufacturer? Or Um, was it just the lead times for the production? They were fairly reactive with everything. They're, 
they're really, really well oiled machine, the, the mill. Um, they were also going through um, a move at the time into their new mill. So there was a bit of destruction with that. But um, I think it just took time because we had to time things correctly for the season and the trade shows. And um, we did a trade show in France. And you're doing our trade show, Make yes. It British Live, at the end of May. Yes, that's right. We'll be there. Yeah. So I'm how has the collection it. been received? Because your pieces are beautiful. Thank you. Um, the collection's been really well received by everyone. Um, but if, again, you know, it's it's slow because nobody really knows about us. And it's just a daily challenge to put yourself out there and... So what have you been doing to market the brand since you launched? Um, I contact um, people directly, um, either by calling them or by email um, shops um, to see if we can secure any uh, wholesale orders. Um, And I've been using um, Instagram, of course, but not nearly as, as I would like to. Definitely yeah, I think to, sometimes yeah. that yeah, there's, it depends what sort of um, customer that you're trying to find through mm-hmm. Instagram. Mm-hmm. We um, we have a, one of our members at Make It British, um, mm-hmm. a company called Furious Goose, who has picked up some amazing wholesale orders from buyers mm-hmm. all over the world through Instagram. But he does say he spends a lot of time. He spends you know a couple of hours on Instagram every day, actively oh, yeah. being on there, starting mm-hmm. up conversations with buyers and journalists mm-hmm. rather than just posting images of his products. So he very oh. much uses it as a platform for communication with these customers, mm-hmm. probably like you are you're doing with email or mm-hmm. phone calls. So which stockists have got your products at the moment? Um, well, it's funny you should ask that because um, I was listening to one of your podcasts um, recently about wholesaling. Um, I can't remember who it was with exactly. Um, do you remember the podcast I'm talking was about? Was it been James Eden, maybe? Yes, yes, yes. That's yes, right. it was like yes. episode number two, I think, that one. Yep. Yes. So uh, at this point, I feel really reluctant to um, actually go through with any wholesaling because it makes our product double the price that it is now on our yeah. website if we're selling exclusively through through our website. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's more a, about now getting the word out about your brand yeah, to yeah. the end user and mm-hmm. getting them to understand um, whether that's the right thing the quality of the product to do or not. We'll see, but I think if you had a, a lower like have a lower price point item that you can then um, wholesale uh, and and have some exclusivities on your own site. I think that's probably a better balance than... Yeah, that's definitely the way I've seen yeah. brands yeah. going, is that they're doing two levels of the collection. They're maybe doing exactly. one specifically for wholesale and they're doing one for their own brand, so no, the customer is not price comparing. Or yes. they're using wholesale mm-hmm. on certain strategic platforms mm-hmm. to spread the word about their brand and using it as a marketing tool and knowing they're not going to make as much profit exactly. on those products that they're wholesaling, but they're doing it to get their name out there. And I know that yeah. James Eden does that with his private white brand on a couple mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. places yeah. to, to make sure that you're aligned with other similar high-end brands. Yeah, exactly. And and 
that's something that I would do, you know, go for that option to not make much profit on wholesaling and just, yeah, get it out there. Hmm. So yeah. what has been um, the most enjoyable thing about launching your own knitwear brand? Um, it's been really enjoyable to just see all the little, all the little pieces of the puzzle come together um, and just to really, you know, hear people's reactions to the knitwear, um, people really appreciating the color and the cut and the quality, the thickness of the, of the cashmere. Um, it's been, it's been, it's been tough, but it's also been amazing to hear everybody's reaction. Um, and it's something that we're, yeah, my husband and I are really proud, proud to have done. Yeah. Cause I think with cashmere, the high street, almost devalued it for a, mm -hmm. for a long while when you had companies like uh, Marks and Spencers, Uniqlo, selling mm -hmm. cashmere jumpers for, you know, rock bottom prices that any of us that are in the textile industry know mm -hmm. are not achievable if you're using the best quality cashmere yeah. yarn mm -hmm. and that if you're using the best quality yarn, the actual longevity of your cashmere jumper is so much better than yes, if, I mean, right. I, we've all been guilty of being lured in by that 99 pound cashmere sweater that then bobbles really quickly <laughs> because the quality of the raw materials is not the same as if you've used yarn that's spun at Todd and Duncan in Scotland, for instance. Yeah. And I yes. think, and actually, I interviewed um, Martin Lowe, a sock manufacturer, recently for the podcast. And he talked about even the same thing within socks. Like people mm -hmm. are comparing his cotton socks with cotton mm -hmm. socks that are made with a very much inferior yarn. And the difference mm -hmm. is his will last, so his socks will last a couple of years without wearing out. Mm -hmm. And the inferior ones, they all look the same, but uh, you soon notice the difference after a few months of wear because the inferior ones have worn out and they've, left black dye on your carpet. <laughs> and I think it's how do you get that mass message across to your customer that yours is yeah. really premium cashmere knitwear that are, you know, pieces that will last a very long time because there's nothing mm -hmm. more disappointing, is there, than buying a really good quality, sorry, really a piece of clothing that you really love, but actually it doesn't last as long as you'd like it to because the quality is not where it needs to be. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's just about getting it into the hands of the right people who really care about that. And I think doing a trade show is is a way to to really connect with the with the buyer and and have and they them can feel to, your products yeah, and see it. Yeah, exactly. That's when everything changes. Yeah. So, what are your plans going forward for the brand? Where do you see yourself taking Riashi Studios? I would like to add um, more accessories for this coming winter. Um, we didn't have the chance uh, or the time to produce the accessories that we wanted to um, because we were too tight for time for the trade show last year. And I'd like to include some new uh, homeware pieces as well, um, some blankets. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And you're working yeah. with a different mill on those, yes, are you? to do the accessories, yes. Um, Is that because the current mill that you're working with don't have the machinery required to make the accessories? Um, no, they have the machinery. Their minimums for accessories are probably too high for us at this stage. Right. Um, that would be why we do them with them. So when you say accessories, what can we look forward to? Is it hats or scarves gloves, or gloves? Gloves, mittens, scarves and hats, yes. 
Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. All in Kashmir, I think. That's the plan. So the plan is to always stay in Kashmir and be a Kashmir brand? For the moment, yes, yeah. Yeah, But it it, it never never started out that way, you know. I, I guess the ideas that you have in the beginning always evolve into something perhaps sometimes unexpected and, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. And that's certainly something that's been a growing or an ongoing um, trend that I'm seeing amongst mm-hmm. a lot of the businesses that I'm interviewing for this podcast mm-hmm. is that what they first started out their business to be mm-hmm. has evolved quite a lot as yeah. it's gone along and yeah, they've right. become specialists in what they do. I mean, I interviewed um, Debbie Humphreys from Red Hound for Dogs. She makes dogwear and she originally decided oh, to yeah. be all things to all people and make make clothes for all different breeds of dogs and actually mm-hmm. she realized because she has whippets she was much more specialist in making clothes just for whippets and since she's specialized you'd think she would have narrowed the market that she was appealing to but actually her business has grown massively since mm-hmm. she's decided wow. to just specialize in a certain type of breed of dog mm-hmm. and I think that's you know the same for if people come to you specifically wanting really high quality cashmere they probably don't want to buy merino or mm-hmm. lamb's wool because yeah. they think of you as a quality cashmere brand yeah. and w- well the plan was to start out as a merino wool was uh, it brand. yes yes but then uh, i guess with me uh, once i once i see the quality and once i experience that there's no going back yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly as you felt cashmere why yeah. would you why would you yeah. have lambs wool or merino but the other thing is also the cost of manufacturing for switching mm-hmm. on the machines and the actual manufacturing cost of the merino and the cashmere mm-hmm. is probably the same isn't it so the only difference is the cost of the yarn yeah. And you're able to command a much higher oh, right. retail price for cashmere. Yeah. So your margins, I would imagine. I mean, I know knitwear, a couple of knitwear manufacturers who recently, who were originally trying to knit, you know, acrylic and merino and wool mm-hmm. and cashmere and have now mm-hmm. decided it's only worth specialising in cashmere for mm-hmm. them in the UK because they can command a much higher price and cashmere knitwear that's made in the UK or particularly made in Scotland mm-hmm. has such an amazing cachet that it's yeah. almost not worth them doing the other different types yeah. of fibres. Yeah, that's right. The mill that we um, that we work with, um, they were very specific about the yarns that we used and they didn't want to um, use too many mixes of cashmere because you get a lot of breakages. Um, yeah. Like with example, yeah. For example, cotton and cashmere, they had breakages so they stepped away from that so yeah it was really with their advice as well that we also got to where we are so what advice would you give someone Mm -hmm. who was listening to this podcast and maybe thinking of starting a knitwear brand made in the uk what one one bit of advice would you say you wish you'd known when you started out Oh, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> or the lots well, of I things. Wish I'd, I wish I'd known about your website. <laughs> um, it would have helped a lot, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I just wish I'd, I guess I'd wish I'd had more confidence to, to do this sooner and to give it my all from the beginning rather than kind of slowly build the brand. Um, yeah, I think 
I think just immersing yourself in, in your, um, in your vision and in your ideas is, is the best thing that anyone can do. Um, so are you currently still working, doing your, yeah, doing other both, roles at other yeah, places? Yeah, we're both, um, I'm part-time and Matt's full-time, um, working in, other, in fashion yeah, in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the plan would be long-term to go mm -hmm. full-time in yeah. your own business. Yeah. Yeah. I'm planning to make those changes, um, in the next three months. So um, exciting. Yeah. And yeah. do you think you'll move back to Gala Shields? Um, or do you love it in Paris too much? I, I, I studied in Gala Shields, but my family are up in Inverness. Um, ah. Yeah. I, it was never the intention to live in Paris. It was always meant to be short a short-term trip. Um, but somehow it's become a really permanent thing in my life that I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that I've made that choice. I really enjoy the the lifestyle here and the, the quality of life and the access to so many things I find inspiring, um, culturally, um, and even, yeah, within the fashion industry, I, yeah, I appreciate what I have access to here and sure. I dream about the, the quieter life in, in Scotland. <laughs> in the Maybe one day. Yeah, yeah. Not just yet. Brilliant. Okay. Well, it's been really lovely talking to you today, yeah, it's been Natalie. Great talking to you too. Where can everyone find and see your cashmere, as well as obviously at our Make It British Live event in a few mm -hmm. weeks' time? That's Where right. can they find you online? Um, on our website at riashistudio.com. Um, they can find our whole collection on there. Um, and they can also ask us any questions if they have any questions about sizing or colour or anything they wish to ask we've got the live chat feature that we we find on your website oh yeah I love my live <laughs> yeah, chat feature great, yeah. though, <laughs> though sometimes it people tend to leave messages in the middle of the night so I've had to switch oh. it to just be nine to five now because otherwise I end up responding to people in okay. the middle of the night as well but it is great it's a great yeah, way of talking great. to people without yeah. filling up your inbox with emails mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's <right>. brilliant <laughs> take care and I will see you at the show Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me a, just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.